Welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh. I am one of your hosts. And my name is Jacqueline. I'm your other host. In this week's episode, we're talking about some Google Chrome privacy concerns, Apple Watch Series 7 production delays, brand new pair of headphones from Bose called the Quiet Comfort 45s, and a lot more. If you like what you hear this episode, make sure to hit that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and make sure that you guys get notified of every episode and it helps us get the show to more people. Really appreciate it. Roll the intro. Google Chrome privacy concerns, this is not a headline that I thought we were going to be seeing this week, but it's kind of been everywhere. And I feel like Chrome has been getting, obviously for years, kind of a bad rap for being terribly optimized for battery life on Macs, but privacy is a different level. Oh, absolutely. And the funniest thing is actually, so like the developers for Firefox, like Mozilla, they said that Chrome is the only major browser that does not offer meaningful protection against cross-site tracking, and it will continue to leave users unprotected. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, in the past year or to is come to a lot of people's attention that many companies like Google, Facebook, Apple don't necessarily delete all of your information. Some of your information does get spread around or it's saved on device. There have been a lot of conversation about becoming better at keeping your information yours and preventing people from selling it or using it for marketing or unwanted advertising. And Chrome is currently the only major browser that doesn't offer actual real protection against tracking your usage across different sites, which is a huge problem privacy concern that you would actually expect from Google of all people to have been better taken care of. Yeah, I kind of feel like Google's in a tough spot with a lot of privacy things of like their main business model is advertising and ads are best optimized when they have a lot of user data. But then on the other hand, they also make smartphones and an operating system. And when people use a smartphone or an operating system, they want privacy. So they're constantly at odds between like one thing helps their business model on the advertising front, but then another thing helps like their reputation. Then you have brands like Apple, who's like their main competitor with iOS, really going privacy to the max. So it constantly puts Google in a worse light and they constantly have to decide what's more important to them in the moment, whether it be like getting more data and making more money or helping their personal brand. Exactly. And okay, let me just kind of break it down a little bit further because I feel like I was a little more vague earlier. Every time you go to a website and and you log into that site or you just browse that site itself, you're getting involved in a web. Like imagine a spider's web. So like you'll enter the web and you're kind of stuck in it a little bit. And then as you leave, a little piece of that web comes with you. And that's like a tracker and it tracks the data that you use from that website, like why you were on the website, what you were doing on the website. And then that information is then used by advertisers. And in specific with Google being one of the biggest advertisers in the world, like Jacqueline just mentioned, it's really interesting to see them in the headlines for not being privacy focused or privacy centric because Google's come out with multiple privacy updates in the past couple of months, just like focusing on them saying like, oh no, no, we're we're proper with privacy. Like Google's privacy sandbox was supposed to fix the fact that like a lot of companies, I think it was up to 600 companies can observe 50% of a user's browsing history through like certain backdoors and trackers. It's very interesting to see that like these kind of simple things and simple tasks, simple, I guess, hacks in a sense haven't been fixed or even addressed properly. And the fact that it's coming in a Forbes article too, like this is where I was first alerted of this. Like that's kind of crazy to me. Like this isn't some like hidden or been out of sight. Like this is a genuine thing that's going on and brings a lot of concern to me at least. Like Jacqueline, I don't know about you. Like do you use Chrome on your daily basis? So I used to use Chrome. I use Safari all the time, but then sometimes like when I was downloading stuff from Google Drive, I just found that it worked a lot better on Chrome. And today, actually, I was watching a press briefing for an upcoming product and they recommended using Chrome. 
instead of Safari. So there definitely is still like a need for Chrome a little bit. Mm -hmm. Some things just run better on it because Google obviously is like the creator of Chrome, but I try not to use it because it also is just like terrible for battery life and RAM management. No, absolutely. Like that's the thing for me. Like I use Chrome pretty much every single day. Like it's my main browser. Like I used to switch back and forth between both Safari and Chrome for like a decent bit of time. And then I started doing Chrome full time and I actually really liked it. And then now I'm reading this and I'm like, I've read this article. I've been doing some research into it. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, Chrome is powerful. It's great. Kills my battery life, but still it's powerful. Should I be switching? It's actually bringing up like a pretty like decent statement. Like how much is your data worth to you? If you think about it, you using Chrome, in my opinion, probably the best browser you can get, but then having to compromise and trade off like your security, like is that trade off worth it? Because to me, it's not. Jacqueline, to you, like if you were still using Chrome right now, would this be an immediate switch for you? Or would you wait for Google to kind of try to fix it? I personally would not use Chrome until I found out if like I had a good alternative because I just feel like right now, we don't really know like what data is important for companies not to have and what data doesn't really matter. Does it really matter if they know that you check ESPN? Probably not, but then maybe like knowing that about you makes you more likely to get targeted ads. So right now I would just err on the side of caution and use whichever browser takes the least amount of data. That said, like I'm sure that there are browsers that take less than Safari does, but Safari is better. So I think it's definitely a fine balance of like, I want my data protected, but I also want a good browser experience. And like, I just think that Chrome is kind of in a bad position where there are other browsers that are almost as good that don't take your data. I don't know. What about you, man? See, here's the thing. Like currently right now I have Chrome open. Like I feel like all of our information is constantly being sold and bought, if that kind of makes any sense. So hear me out. As much as Chrome is the hub for Google, it is still a web browser that is designed by an advertiser. That's what it is in theory. And then when you look at Safari, Safari is a web browser built by a tech company, a tech conglomerate. When it comes to which one would probably sell my information quicker, it's probably going to be Google. If you also look at the statistics, 75% of the biggest websites on the internet, Google has embedded tracking into. So whether we like it or not, they're going to get our information. Whether or not I'm switching between Safari or Chrome, most of the stuff anyway is going to get my information. Albeit, I will probably still switch back to Safari in a very soon manner. Like I need like a solid like couple of hours to switch all of my stuff over. Like I have to sign in everything on Safari now and do all that kind of stuff and set up my one password and stuff there. But mm-hmm. so let's bring up a really interesting question. Like how much stuff is in our lives is being tracked on a daily basis? Because if Google is able to do so, not even just from the browser, but also just from the general websites that we do go and visit, it's going to be an interesting next couple of years, like knowing how much information that like companies like Google, Facebook, and even Apple are going to have about us that I feel like maybe not even like our closest friends and family will know. So that is going to be a very interesting thing. Totally. I think about that a lot. Like someone's phone is like such a personal item that if like you were able to get someone's phone and look at their camera roll and look at what they search, all of their text messages and who they follow, you would be able to know like a lot about their life. Like maybe 70% of their life you'd be able to get just from looking at their phone Mm -hmm. and their notes app and their camera roll and all these other things. And like that information is pretty accessible to a lot of tech giants. Like, yeah, some of it stays on the phone, but a lot of it, people like share their photos the cloud notes is often in the cloud so it's like we give away a lot of our privacy for convenience and it's just like where do we draw the line oh absolutely i mean if you think about it too right like what's the most popular mail app or mail account in the world right now i'd be willing to bet it'd be gmail like how else are you going to use maps how else are you going to use youtube like you need a google account and yeah for sure a google account also happens to be tied into drive how many schools work on drive like it's absurd to see that like companies like google like apple like microsoft that have such a big reach also end up being the 
ones to kind of like steal our data. But you know what web browser probably didn't steal your data? Internet Explorer. Because no one uses Bing. Yeah, maybe that's its only upside. Dude, I forgot about Bing until you just said that. No, I sorry. I know it's a little bit more of a joke, but like at the same time, it's kind of true. Like if you think about it, like if Bing was tracking us, it'd be very interesting to see how much information Bing would have on me. Yeah, and it's also like, The business model right now of advertising, it used to be brand awareness advertising, like billboard ads, newspaper advertisements, radio ads. And there was no real tangible way for companies to know which advertisement was effective and which wasn't. Like there was a quote by one of the best marketers in the world. And it was like, I know that 50% of my ad money I could save. It isn't doing anything for me. The problem is I don't know which 50% it is. And it's because like you don't know like what conversions you're getting off a billboard ad or TV commercial. Now with new media and trackable advertisements, companies are able to not only know, oh, this Instagram post converted 10 people, but they're also able to like say, hey, I want to target people from Los Angeles, California, in between 18 and 25 years old that are female that are interested in yoga. Like they can get so specific, which means that they get a lot more return on their investment. Like if they put $1,000 into advertising, they're going to make a lot more back than they would if they did like an $1,000 billboard ad. So it's in Google and all the other companies' best interest to keep obtaining data about their users so then they can better place advertisements and then have higher click-through ratios, which then means that advertisers will move over their money from traditional advertising to new media. There's no real incentive except for a moral one for these companies not to take more and more data. Exactly. I think that's the end-all be-all. Like, There's only moral things telling them to stop, but there's no legal things telling them to stop. The biggest thing is that like a lot of these tech companies, right? Like, they're going to do whatever they find to be right because morality to many can be subjective. You can find morality to be a very subjective topic because it's, it's up mm-hmm. to what your morals are, right? But then like there are laws that do kind of affect the way that different tech companies do interact within the economy, within life, like day-to-day life. Like, for example, in South Korea, I believe, Apple and Google must allow developers to use other payment system as a new Korean law declared. This is like from The Verge. They were discussing this a little bit further because this is an amendment to South Korea's Telecommunication Business Act so that now the Google Play Store and Apple App Store have to at least allow for outside payment processes, which is, I think, very interesting because if I can pay for an app on my iPhone using Samsung Pay, I feel like that'd be a very interesting interesting development in life. Jack, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we've seen this has become a major thing in the last year, I would say, in a lot of different ways, basically companies trying to circumvent the 30% cut that Google and Apple take on in-app purchases and in-app store purchases. We saw it with Epic, we saw it with Spotify, so many different companies. And the reason, in my opinion, is all these companies see the writing on the wall that hardware is not as sustainable of a business model as subscription-based, repeatable, recurring revenue software is. Apple can sell one iPhone to someone and then get hundreds of dollars a year of subscriptions if they buy iCloud, if they buy Apple Arcade, if they buy Apple Music, if they buy iCloud Storage, like all these different things. And it's recurring and it's also a lot more scalable because they don't need to worry about having like infrastructure of like supply chains and the economics of that and hiring more people. Like software is infinitely more scalable than hardware once you get to a certain threshold. Because Because of that, software is obviously becoming a much bigger business model and all these companies want in. The difference between a 20% cut and a 30% cut for Apple is pretty significant if software ends up making 50% of their business model, right? Like Mm -hmm. that would be a 10% cut. So basically because of that, now we're seeing a lot of companies like protest at 30%, whereas in the past they haven't because it just hasn't been as big of a business model. So it makes sense to me. Honestly though, like I don't really know how to feel about it because I kind of feel like Apple and Google in their app stores are giving these manufacturers and developers a place to reach people and they deserve a cut for that because they have to do a lot of vetting they have to like do the infrastructure for it etc and they're gave the person the phone that the app is getting installed on kind of like how youtube takes a cut of any video Mm -hmm. but then on the other hand it's like the apps are what make the phone great if 
YouTube wasn't available on an iPhone, like maybe some people wouldn't buy an iPhone. So I don't really know how to feel about it. I'm kind of mixed. No, absolutely. I think that's actually, that's a very good breakdown kind of into like the actual business that goes behind all this. Because you're right, like Google, Apple, and all these companies are now going into more of a software and subscription-based business model that will kind of help their audience and the people around them, or at least their audience and their users do everything within their ecosystem. Very much so with something like Samsung, for example. I was checking out the Samsung Galaxy Watch and one of the things that actually The Verge brought up in their review of it that I thought was quite interesting. The Galaxy Watch is a watch with an ecosystem. Like it's a watch for the Samsung ecosystem. It is great for all Android users, but it's ideal for Samsung users. You want to bring everyone into your ecosystem, not anyone else's. So with the watch, you're bringing them into the Samsung ecosystem with Samsung Health. You're using all of Samsung's features. It works greatest and best with a Samsung phone because everything is easily connectable versus like any other Android phone. It's not. So these companies will consistently will be trying to bring people into the ecosystems. And a lot of other businesses and countries, I guess, have been trying to kind of separate this or like interfere with the companies. Like two lobbyists actually are like lobbyists for both Apple and Google reportedly have been arguing the fact that this Korean legislation violates a trade agreement because it seeks to control the actions of US-based companies. It's even more funny because we talked about this last week too. In the EU, they were talking about how they wanted to make USB-C mandatory on all phones. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of companies are getting, for lack of a better word, like pissed off with Google and Apple, these like huge multi-billion dollar tech conglomerates and like are trying to impose some restrictions to make them more open to the public, to the everyone, to make just life easier for everyone. It's basically like every country has its own government, but the tech companies are like their own government in a way, and they're in every single country, but they have to comply with different laws in every country. But at the same time, they're creating like a pretty universal software experience, regardless of what country you're in. And it creates a really complicated situation of like, do we need a United Nations type of thing where like there's one ruling board that will make the laws for Apple and Google, and it applies to every country. Like we could be heading in a direction like that because otherwise Apple and Google could have more power in less democratic countries and less power in democratic countries. And like this experience will just be inherently very different. And then the other aspect of it is that like Apple really cares a lot about privacy and that's kind of like their brand image. It seems to me that they're super resistant to this, obviously, because it affects brand image. So like if we take them at their word, basically they're saying right now that this new act would make their users more at risk for fraud and undermine their privacy policies and make it harder to manage purchases and use features like ask to buy and parental controls. And they're basically saying like, hey, we've made Korea developers a ton of money, like 8.55 trillion. We're making you guys a lot of money. Something really important to our brand is privacy. They kind of have like a lot of power in this, right? Because they would lose a lot of money if their phones weren't in Korea, but their most significant market is the US and they're bringing a lot of money to the Korean economy with the phones. So it's kind of this weird situation where like, yeah, they don't have a lot of power depending on which country they're in. On the other hand, like technology keeps us all connected. They kind of have a winning hand in having a lot of negotiation power and it's kind of a gray area. Absolutely. Because these are the companies, like these are the countries, like they're, they're actually running and they have a lot more influence and power power into like these tech conglomerates. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how this overall does play out. And, you know, actually another set of people that do have an influence into how other people do is our audience. You guys didn't know you, our audience member, have such a huge influence into us. And as you guys do have a ton of influence, I want to give you guys the power for something right now. We set a goal for this podcast to hit 150 ratings on Apple Podcasts before the end of the year. And because you guys have the power to do so, if we hit this goal, we will do a live chat with all of the Digital Dive listeners to answer questions and to celebrate. So help us hit this goal by rating us now while 
while we take a quick break to get a cold brew and some espresso. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Apple Watch 7 rumors plus Apple Glass, as well as a new Bose announcement, and maybe even discuss the new RED camera. But yeah, guys, go drop us a review. You guys have the influence and power to really help us grow. I'll add another extra bonus. We're right now at 24 reviews. If we get to 40 by next week at this time, and you send me a screenshot of you rating the podcast, I'll send you a funny selfie back. I like that. I like that. (laughs) That's a double incentive. That's 16 more ratings in the next seven days. I think we can do it. We really appreciate you. We're going to head to a quick break, get a cold brew, and then we'll come back. Darsh and I were just talking about this off recording. Darsh, if it's cool with you, I think we should just hop right back into that discussion about Bose because they just came out with the Quiet Comfort 45, which is obviously the sequel to the Quiet Comfort 35s, which are one of the most popular noise canceling headphones on the market. And the main headline with these is that they have a 24 hour battery life. Yes, sir. I mean, man. So, pretty much, guys, I actually was telling Jack and I wanted to tell the story on the podcast. I thought it was funny. So, I actually have a history with the QC35 twos. I had them at one point. So, I remember I really always wanted noise canceling headphones. I thought that'd be really cool. And like no one I knew had them at the time. So maybe like 2014 or so. It's a little bit long winded, but I bought an Apple Watch Series 1 in space gray. It was like the aluminum one. And it was a sport edition. I had it and I wore it and I liked it, but I bought it like all scratched up and stuff for like $90 Canadian. And then I put it on Facebook trying to sell it. And someone offered me a trade for Bose QC35 twos. And I was like, this is great. Absolutely. Would love to get those get them and then end up selling those on like eBay for like 400 bucks. Long story short, the QC35s have a hold a nice place in my heart because they they made me a decent amount of commission. Anyway, though, these new ones are the QC45s, which are pretty much going to offer more improved active noise cancellation, a transparency or ambient sound mode that Bose is going to call a wear mode, as well as 24 hours of battery life. The biggest thing is that they're claiming that they're updating the headphone that redefined headphones because like they were like yeah. one of the first like fully noise canceling headphones. And like Jacqueline was bringing this up, like we don't hear about Bose headphones headphones as much in the news anymore as we do as like Beats or Apple or I think that's pretty much it. That's all I hear about now. I kind of feel like 2016 Tech YouTube, like the staple videos were Logitech MX Master and Bose headphones and Audio-Technica M50s. Like Mm -hmm. those three products, anytime they had a sequel or anything, like they were everywhere. And now I kind of feel like none of those three products get covered at all. Like maybe in a tweet, but like that's kind of it. It's changed so much, like the entire landscape. Whenever I used to think of like noise canceling headphones, I used to think of them as overly priced and I thought they were not really like aimed to the masses. As time progressed, Apple decides to come forward and completely obliterates my statement on being overpriced and comes out with the AirPod Maxes, which yes, they are amazing. I've, I've listened to a pair. They're definitely great. 700 bucks. I don't know how great they are, but regardless, like I always used to think they were so expensive and now they become more of a manageable or competitive pair that you picking up a pair of noise canceling headphones. I feel like used to be such a bigger deal a couple of years ago. And now it's so normal. Like AirPod Pros are noise canceling. So that's one. Or like the Sony XM4s. Another contributing factor to people being less hyped about noise canceling headphones is that the pandemic has been going on for almost like two years now. So people are like flying a lot less and in public places a lot less. It's actually very true, right? Like I find myself using my headphones, my noise canceling headphones most when I'm out and about versus when I'm like at home. Actually, no, that's a lie. When I was at home during quarantine, I very much used my noise cancellation a lot, trying to just like tone out the rest of the house. Still, like it is definitely like you weren't seeing them or people weren't as concerned about them because they were the idea like travel headphone that was what they were for like you'd buy them and be like yo like this is great for traveling this is all I've ever wanted for traveling because it just blocks out the plane noise. You just pass out listening to music or watching whatever movie. This is going to be very interesting to see. And it's going to be even cooler to see how it compares with the AirPod Maxes because these are going to be half the price, but they're going to be Bose sound quality. Like Bose is notorious. Well, I feel notorious is 
known for being bad, but these are known for being so good. Like their bows is bows. Is it just me? Like does bows not carry the same kind of weight it did before? When it came to like headphones, like came to like sound quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's valid because I think a couple years ago they were like the only ones, and then other companies started to catch up, like Microsoft and Sony. And now it's kind of like Sony or Bose, like which one's better? Then the AirPods Max came out, which is like a very different market because it's so much more expensive and exclusive to iPhone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think also honestly, again, this is because we're in the tech niche. Our experience, like we have like false equivalency a little bit. We're like, if we don't see it, then we think that it's not as big of a deal. But I kind of feel like the products that we're covering in 2015 or 2016 didn't have to be like as exciting. Like now it's like, oh, I need to see a foldable phone or a piece of tech I've never seen before for the video to do really well. Versus like 2016, it was like the Bose headphones, the Logic mouse, etc. And then also like other random stuff. I just had one in mind, but now I forgot. But like just like less important stuff and people would still watch the video. Like they were more low key. So I also think like, oh, another one was GoPro. Every time there was a new GoPro, it would get covered. Now I feel like tech channels don't really cover GoPros as much. So I also think that maybe in the tech niche, we're just moving away from like covering products like this. So that's why it feels like they're not as hyped. But maybe outside of like the YouTube tech niche, they're still like a pretty hyped or well-known product. Absolutely. I think it's definitely going to be very interesting to see. And like the thing is, I feel like in our day to day now, like it's always going to be news about Samsung, Google, Apple. Like it's something one or the other that's coming up, right? I hate to be that guy, but like there is some really cool Apple news that I wanted to bring up today and it's the Watch Series 7 and the Apple Glass news. Jacqueline actually shared this with me the other day because it seems like the Apple Watch Series 7 is reportedly facing production delays Yeah, because it's going to be such a big redesign, which actually I'm very excited about. Like big redesign, like I need this to happen because I like my Apple Watch, but I feel like it's kind of ugly and I want to redesign. It looks good. Dude, it looks like an iPhone 12 on your wrist. It like does. Your iPhone 12. It has like the squared off edges. If you guys want to check it out, you can go to 9to5Mac. They have a render there. But I read an article the other day, Darsh, that was like, Apple literally goes from square to rounded to square to rounded just to show like that you have the new one to make your old product feel inferior. Like there's actually no advantage of having a squared edge, except that it looks like new and novel. And we have like a novelty bias. It's 100% valid, but I'm still really excited about it. No, that, that's so fair. Because like, ultimately, if it looks somewhat different from the previous year, everyone's gonna be like, oh my God, that's a new one. Like you have to like point it out. Mm-hmm. Like the iPhone 11 Pro was the first iPhone with three cameras. You have the 11 Pro, the first one with three cameras. Okay, like that stands out apart. Like, boom, it looks like a bug. Like it has three eyes. Now you go to iPhone 12, boom, it looks like the iPhone 5 and a bug. Like you have to make it slightly different to make it look like the new one. So you have that bit of clout, I guess, that comes with having the latest product. And I think that they know that. And also like just our brains are wired to like be interested in new stuff. So like if something looks visually new, we're going to give it a lot more attention than if it looks exactly the same as the last one, but with like a huge spec upgrade. Oh, absolutely. If we're going to see like a huge redesign and it's big point of it was literally just to make it so that we feel like we're getting a new product. I'm kind of here for it because like the Apple Watch has had a very similar design since its fruition, like six generations pretty much of a very similar design, just smaller bezels and a bigger design, like just looking slightly bigger, but it's pretty much been the same thing year after year. I feel like it's getting kind of boring. I feel like a flat edged Apple Watch with a very minimal bezel display, hopefully like some cooler watch faces, like this could be the future. Jacqueline, what are your thoughts though on like the overall like redesign? Like what, like the renders that you've seen, is this something that you're kind of with or do you wish they went a different direction with it? I love it. I think it's perfect to be honest. Everything about it looks great. The screen is big. It's flat. The one thing that I would be a little nervous about though is like the comfort of it the rounded edges make it so like there's no edge that like digs into your wrist on the current version Mm -hmm. and with it being a little bit more squared i'm wondering if the sides of it are going to be a little more uncomfortable than usual that is a possibility but i feel like 
it's also more so in line with like more rectangular or like boxy watches. At least for me, I'm pretty into watches. So like I, I do have like a small little collection myself. And I feel like a lot of watches are kind of like boxy like that, or like they have this almost like prism effect where it's a flat side. Like the watch I'm wearing right now, it's circular, but it has flat sides. If it was literally a square, it would look just like the Apple Watch. Things like that, like those slight design changes that make it look more kind of traditional in the sense what a watch should look like. I feel like that would be really cool. Maybe I'm holding out for this and it's bad too, or like I shouldn't be, but like, wouldn't you love to see an Apple Watch that was circular? I personally wouldn't, but I know that I'm like definitely in the minority with that. Really? Okay. So I actually want, I want to hear your thought process for this. So why would you want a square versus a circle? Initially, like years ago with the Moto 360, I thought it looked better, but now I'm really used to like the square look. The reason I like the square better is just because you get a little bit more screen real estate. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of important to me because I look at a lot of stuff on my watch. I would rather have like slightly worse aesthetics and more screen real estate. I think it's actually a very, very fair understanding with it. I'm a very similar. Like I want a bigger screen so I have more screen real estate to play with, but then I also want it to look more like a watch. But then I use like the Galaxy Watch 4 Classic, right? One of my biggest complaints about the watch itself was the fact that if you put complications, like those little buttons on the watch face and you try clicking one of them, it's so hard to do so because it's a circular edge. So like no matter where you touch it, it's always too small or like you have to be really focusing on hitting it on the dot. Whereas if it's a corner, it just takes up a corner you just tap that corner. So it's easier to click and navigate through. So I feel like unless Apple was able to figure out that, that could be something very interesting. Yeah, I think like at the end of the day, Apple wants to update the design just to make it feel a little bit more novel. But the most important thing to them is what it does. Obviously, like they're focusing a lot on health with the Apple Watch and that being a contribution. This is like one of like Tim Cook's biggest projects, right? The Apple Watch and the health stuff. Mm -hmm. Another report actually just came out this week about another big project that he's supposedly working on, which may be his last project ever ever as the CEO of Apple and it's the Apple glasses and basically the report says like it's from Apple track and it says Apple glass may be Tim Cook's final product as CEO and they're expecting it to come out by 2025 which is like three years away now as wild as that sounds I wanted to see what you thought about that if you think that like he'll be working longer than that or if that will be like his last hurrah here's the thing there's been a lot of talk right we talked about this last week about how Tim Cook has been a legendary figure for Apple he has done a lot for the company but he hasn't been the most innovative for the company with him having been there for over a decade now he's done like a lot of great work I feel like in the next couple of years he may just want to step back also like he is a very very philanthropic person. He like gives away money like there's no tomorrow. I think every year the past couple of years he's been giving away like $10 million to different charities. And he recently actually got paid like a buyout. I think it was like $410 million, something like that by Apple because he's done like 10 years worth. And it's like a, it's kind of like a bonus for his 10 years of service. Wow. So he got like $410 million worth of stock. I think that very much so like Tim Cook, this could be like the last couple of years for him. I think he's like holding out for one or two products that like he may have been wanting to like see go into fruition. So like the Apple Glass could definitely be one. It's something that's actually been rumored for so long that like my brother and I have been speculating this on our own like for so long as well because we're both glass wearers and my brother's very very he's a very big Apple fan seeing something like Apple Glass come to reality especially after Google Glass came out this is something that we've been expecting for a while so I don't know if this will be Tim Cook's last hurrah I think this very it's very very likely to be his last hurrah and it could be actually very interesting too because I know he is also a glasses wearer so seeing him wear Apple Glass as he like exit the stage for the last that'd be pretty cool I think that he wants a product that will be like his legacy mm -hmm. and I think honestly health tech is kind of his legacy with apple but i also think apple glass can enable so many things i also don't think that apple's gonna rush out a product though just to give him like his last product ever you know like if the tech is there it's there it just depends like 
logistically really hard to fit like all the tech that you need into classes and make it a really good experience. Absolutely. Will that happen in the next three years? Maybe. Definitely. I don't think it's going to be like Apple Car. Like some people are like, oh, like Apple Car will be his like last product ever. That if they ever make it, nah. I think it's so much further off. Oh, absolutely. I feel like if that ever comes out, it's going to be like way down the line when for one, they need better battery power. I think Apple recognizes that lithium is not going to be the way of the future and they need to like find a new way to source the batteries. And like that's something that Tesla, that's something every single electric car right now is working on. So I feel like once that kind of breakthrough comes to, maybe then we'll see car like the Apple car come more into fruition because knowing Apple, they'd want to be able to boast range of like 10,000 miles or some extensive level of distance covered by the Apple car. Yeah. Or like incredible self-drive. Yeah. Something that makes it stand out. Like they're not going to get into the market and make a mediocre car. They can't. They have to come in with something cool that's like very Apple. I definitely will be excited to see what happens with this though. I think that there is a lot of potential with AR glasses. Obviously, AR glasses, if they get so good to the point where we don't need phones anymore, like it makes sense that Apple would have to create a product like that because otherwise they won't have a market to sell phones to, right? So they have to kind of like cannibalize on their own business a little bit. If we ever get to that point, that's so far away, I think, though. But I think it's closer than a lot of people think because like Mark Zuckerberg has been quoted so many different times talking about AI. Obviously, Tim Cook, they've been working on AR stuff like Pokemon Go was like an augmented reality based game. So I think like in the next decade, we're going to see a huge stride in it more so than even like VR. But I don't know if we'll be by 2025. Time will tell in that regard, like whether or not we'll see that technology make it. Actually, funny enough, something I actually saw this week on Twitter was the Mojo Lens. I don't know if you've seen those. No. They've been selected for 2021's Disney Accelerator program for a uh, tech product. I didn't even know Disney had an accelerator. Oh my God. Disney has like everything. They're a huge conglomerate and that's just who they are. But these contact lenses, actually, they're like AR gl- like contact lenses. And it's very interesting the way that they work. And I, I don't know much about them. I did just see them on like my Twitter feed the other day. And I wanted to bring it up because it was something that I really liked this week. So I wanted to start that off as my first stuff we liked this week because we were talking about AR glasses, like Apple glasses and contact lenses, the next step for that. So my first stuff we liked this week, guys, it's going to be Mojo Vision, Mojo lenses. I want to check them out. They look super cool. Damn, that was smooth. Dude, you are like the king of transitions. <laughs> Thanks. My first one for this week is actually an announcement that just came out today of a new RED camera. It appears to record 8K video at 120 frames per second. It's also 24 grand. It's kind of like an aspirational dream camera and it looks really cool. It has autofocus. It has a full frame sensor and it also has like a Canon, like it sports Canon RF lenses. So I'm really excited to see it. I bet Marquez will get one and we'll be able to like kind of see what it looks like in the flesh. And I'm also a big fan of the build. It's like a white body, which is pretty different from their normal stuff. It straight up looks like a stormtrooper. Yeah, actually though. It is so cool. It's like an 8K sensor too. So this is going to be pretty next. Like after the next 10 Marquez videos, I can imagine this is going to be the main camera for a little bit. Dude, I would not be surprised if he already has it or if he's getting ready to use it this week. He'd be the type of guy too, like to make a video on this camera and then be like, oh yeah, by the way, the past three videos have been filmed on that camera. So that's your camera test. Yeah, actually, though, I could totally see that. What's it? your next one for this week? Number two. So my second one for this week is actually Suicide Squad. I finally went out and watched it. I'm a huge, like, superhero fanboy. Like, I love all the Marvel movies. I love watching DC movies, too, especially, like, Christian Bale Batman. He was, like, he is my Batman. He is the Batman I will always consider to be Batman. I don't care who else has done it. I don't care. Ben Affleck. I don't care who has done it. Christian Bale, he is my Batman. This year, actually, they came out with a new Suicide Squad, and it was actually featuring Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, Pete Davidson. The cast 
also just fully star-studded and packed. The first one didn't do very well, but this one was directed by James Gunn. He also directed Guardians of the Galaxy, a Marvel movie. So watched it this week. Fantastic movie. Go check it out, guys, if you guys haven't already. It was insane. I actually haven't heard of the movie. What's the premise for it? So Suicide Squad is like the opposite of like the Avengers, for example. The Avengers are all like do-gooders. Suicide Squad is pretty much a group of felons that were like specifically chosen because of their insane ability to be part of like a covert death squad. They have to go in and do like missions that no one else will be able to do. And if they mess up or they stray off task, they get their head blown up. Oh my gosh. That's what it's called. The suit. It's like, a, it's like, it is still like DC. So it's a bit darker, but it's pretty much like each of these guys are like convicted criminals. If they go and do this like super dangerous mission and they win and like they make it out alive, take 10 years off their sentence. But if they stray away or try to escape or anything like that, or they don't listen to command, they'll be given warnings. And if they outdo all the warnings, then there's a little chip that's in the back of their necks that tracks them. That also works as an explosive. Damn, that is quite the premise. It's a very interesting movie. And there's like, it's a star-studded cast. It was just so funny and it was like so well done. I really liked it. Did you see it in theaters or was it like available online? Not available online is only available in theaters at the moment. Damn, how was going to a theater? It was like, I was a little stressed, but it wasn't bad. It was pretty good. Was that your first time in like a year and a half? Yes. That's so sick. Yeah, it's awesome to see like some theaters are opening back up. Absolutely. My next one for this week, it's kind of a self-plug, but the NBT September logo just came out today. So by the time you're listening to this, it's been out for about a week. I'm so happy with this one. Luke and I like spent like three weeks just like perfecting all like the small details and stuff. And it's like literally dark. Like you would love it. It's a dreamscape of like a coffee shop with a pumpkin spice latte and just has like that kind of ambience. Yeah, actually, I think I, I, I saw the picture. It actually looked really, really dope. Oh, thank you. If you guys haven't already gone to pick up your dive card, go check them out, guys. They're really, really, really cool. Dude, yeah. So it's the limited one is like the card, but then it's also just like a regular logo. So it's both. This is true too. This is actually very fact. I saw the card, not the logo, but the card looks so sick because it's like a full out like- It's like the full picture. It's a full picture, the full landscape. Basically, it starts as the logo and then after we like finish the logo, then we just convert it to the card. I find myself just like randomly like picking it up during the day just like getting immersed in it so super stoked about that thanks for the kind words Darsh. that's gonna be my last one for this week so i'm just gonna drop one last one just because it's happening and it was announced this week certified lover boy drake's new album is dropping on friday so it's gonna come out on the third i'm a huge drake fan so i'm very excited for this album to come out kanye's album was a disappointment don't at me <laughs> Like, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't what I expected. It was it was worse than I expected. I thought it was going to be a lot better, but that's just my opinion. But thanks, you guys, so much for watching this episode or listening to this episode, guys. I hope that you guys did enjoy it. And if you did, make sure to do all the stuff. Like, go drop us a proper review. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. Let us know what you guys think of the podcast. We would love your input. And also, it'll help us get to our goal of 50. I think it was 50, right? 150 ratings on Apple Podcasts before the end of the year. But if we can get, what was it? 40. Is it 40? If we can get 40 by Monday, I'll send you guys funny selfies. But before we do go, I want to give a huge thank you to Adil Constantine for our intro and outro music. Also, a huge thank you to Luke Fabricatori for our amazing edits. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next Monday at 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. Bye, guys. Later.